Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Christmas Sunday. In 1969, when astronaut Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, it was widely referred to as the greatest event in human history. Respectfully, they were wrong. The greatest event in human history was not the planting of human feet on the moon, but when God Almighty stepped out of heaven's splendor and He stepped into this world of woe and He put His feet on this earth in Bethlehem. That is the greatest event in human history. And we are glad to celebrate that event today. As the prophet Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born. Miraculously, a virgin-born child. But then he added wisely, the Holy Spirit put it there, unto us a son is given. The eternal God, the son, became flesh at that very same moment. I'm glad you're in the house today. I know many churches who canceled their services today, but we did not want the Magi to show up for worship and find the doors locked. <laughs> and for those of you that, who couldn't be with us today and you're joining us online because maybe you're not feeling well or for some other reason, a warm greeting to each of you. And we have uh, greeters from around, excuse me, we have people who watch from around the globe, and so we're welcome each one of you, and a special shout out today to Brother Rob Wilson, who is watching in San Mateo. God bless you, brother, and all our other brothers and sisters out there. The best is yet to come. Every year, it seems like Christmas holiday is strained with the pressing concerns of the day. Right now, many are focused, maybe rightfully so, on what's happening in Washington, D.C., there are also many worries about inflation and the economic uncertainty of the day. And if that weren't enough, there's a nuclear madman that is threatening the world with all of these concerns and more. The question on some people's mind is, why take time to focus on the birth of one baby from a couple thousand years ago and a little out of the way village in the Middle East, some place called Bethlehem. Why? Here's why. Because when after that baby was born, the angel announced, he said, fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Yes, Jesus' coming was good for all people. You'd say, well, he was Jewish, he was the Messiah, aren't you saying he was good as the messianic hope for that people group there in the Middle East? What difference does that make for us, and especially 20 years later? But the historical account is clear. 
many of the greatest inventions and humanitarian things that have been done have been done by followers of that baby, Jesus Christ. Christians like Gutenberg, who came up with the amazing printing press, or Louis Pasteur and all of his work with infectious diseases. Think about all the great educational institutions founded by Christians. In fact, most of the early colonies, uh, all their universities were Christian, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, and all the wonderful organizations that have been founded by Christians and hospitals and uh, schools and places like the Red Cross and the Salvation Army who have done so much for the people of this world. But as good as that is, Jesus didn't come just to inspire all these wonderful works and inventions. No, our Lord and Savior came to earth on a rescue mission. He was literally born to die, not for our sins, for his sins, but for ours. He offers us the gift that we need most, and that is we need the gift of God's forgiveness. In a world like we live in, it is a blessed thing to think about the first coming of Jesus Christ. But as I was contemplating about this uh, Christmas season, and actually a little bit further, uh, thinking about the next few weeks as we talk about the book of Revelation, I was thinking how great it is to know that the first coming is just a, a prelude for the second coming. In fact, the best is yet to come. There is an ever-increasing push to secularize Christmas. Some people call it Xmas. Others substitute Kwanzaa for it. But I will tell you, Christmas without Christ is like a nicely wrapped box given as a present with no present inside. No, Christmas without Christ means nothing. And so we are here to celebrate Christ and thank God that the best is yet to come. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for a uh, word of prayer? Father, I thank you for the day. Thank you for all the people that have come here on this Sunday morning. I'm so proud of them. And for those, Lord, who couldn't be here and some just aren't feeling well, Lord, would you just touch their body and touch their spirit and their mind even right now? And Lord, for all those who will be watching this in the days to come, oh God, be with each of us. Lord, I'm so excited as I look to the future. And thank you for the, and bless each one here today. In Jesus' name, amen. The events associated with the birth of Jesus fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies given centuries before they were ever even described. In Matthew chapter 122, it introduces a very common statement that we see in the New Testament. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets. The Holy Spirit points out to us that many of the events described in the Gospels actually fulfill very specific prophecies. For example, in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And just as foretold, a virgin who never knew a man, Mary, indeed did conceive. And we see that in Matthew 1 and verse 21. It was prophesied years before it happened in Jeremiah 31 and verse 15 that there would be a massacre of children 
surrounding the Messiah's coming. And exactly as prophesied, Herod murderously slaughtered the young boys in Bethlehem, as recorded in Matthew 2 and verse 18. In Hosea chapter 11, out of Egypt, it says, I will call my son. What? The Messiah would come out of Egypt? Yes. Mary and Joseph went down there and then came back. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15, it is fulfilled. And there are hundreds of prophecies in the Bible like that. In fact, one scholar, J. Barton Payne, said that there are 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow point to Jesus as a Messiah. Alfred Edersheim, who wrote Edersheim's Life of Christ, probably the most famous works on the life of Christ, that's the book I had when I was in Bible college, Alfred Edersheim said there was 456 verses that speak about Christ way before it ever happened, conservatively, even if we didn't take all of those, and some are kind of repeated, there are at least 300 prophecies, many of which have been fulfilled. Friends, the scientific and statistical prospect of that occurring just by chance are staggering. A few years ago, there was a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner. He took the science of probability to determine what would it be if Jesus fulfilled just eight of the messianic prophecies, equivalent to a 10, followed by 17 zeros. One in that many is what the possibilities would be. By the way, just we might note here, I think it's time we follow the science when we celebrate Christmas. <laughs> in fact, but Stoner went on to say that, and he illustrated it this way. He said, if you were to take silver dollars, cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep, if you were to mark one of those silver dollars and then stir up all the dollars together and then ask someone blindfolded to be able to find that one dollar in all the state of Texas, you can begin to understand just how remote the possibility that one person could fulfill even just eight of those 300 or 400 or 600 prophecies. Friends, Christmas is an amazing reminder of all that Jesus accomplished for this world. But it's just the beginning of those 300 prophecies, dozens, maybe several hundred have been fulfilled, but there's so much more. He didn't come just as a baby just to live and then to die, and to resurrect, and to give us spiritual life, and to give us that wonderful guarantee of eternal life. And as amazing as all that is, the Christmas story, and even the Easter story, is not the climax. The climax is the day that Jesus comes back. The best is yet to come. Take, for example, that most specific, perhaps, of all prophecies, one that we hear of often, and that is the fact that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. One of the first prophecies by that pre-exilic prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little, and oh my, was it a little town, among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel. 
born in Bethlehem, the city of David, the city of bread, as it were. David's lineage was the kingly lineage. From that little lineage came Jesus Christ, shepherd like David over all of Israel. But notice the next verse, or actually verse 4. That wonderful prophecy is great, and it happened, but it's actually not complete. Look at verse 4. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. Look at that last part. And he shall be great unto the ends of the earth. Now, friends, that has not happened yet. Although Jesus is a spiritual king, and although he does give spiritual peace, the real fulfillment of that promise is during the millennium and even further in eternity future. The magic of Christmas is really not just about his first coming, but Christmas really is about his second coming as well. He first came veiled in the form of a child, but the next time he comes, and it will be soon, he will come unveiled and everyone will know him for who he really is. In his first advent, a star marked his arrival. But in his second advent, the stars will fall out of the sky, and he himself will be the illumination of the sky. The first time he came, the Magi brought him gifts. But the next time he comes, he will bring gifts and rewards for his own. The first time he came, there was no room for him in the end. The next time he comes, the world will not even be able to contain his glory. The first coming and the second coming are so much different. Now, we're going to look at a verse and then take it apart a bit and give us reminders of how the first coming were alike, how they were similar, and really how they are dissimilar. And so let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, please. That amazing doctrinal book of the book of Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, after excuse me, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I want you to notice a couple of descriptive words there and a couple of comparative words. And as, in the first part of verse 27, and as, so he's now comparing something. Verse 28 begins with, so Christ. So he's comparing something that we all know with something we should understand about Christ. And as we all know, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. He is saying that for every human that lives, there are two times of reckoning. There is the first reckoning, and that is death. And then there is the second reckoning, and that is that we are going to stand before God, known as the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Now, just as assuredly, as we appear on earth once, and in the heavenlies a second time before God, so our Savior, Christ comes once to the earth. But then in the heavens, He is going to come in triumph. And so there are both similarities and dissimilarities in the first advent, the second advent, the first coming, and the second. Let's look at those this morning together. First of all, the two comings of Christ are alike. 
Surprisingly, there's actually much alike in the two comings. First of all, both of them are personal. Jesus came the first time, not just as a spirit, but as a real person, as a baby who could be pressed against his mother's breast, as a little boy who could take the hold of the strong hand of his father. There's an old heresy that Christ's appearance on earth was merely some sort of an apparition. He was kind of a ghost God. But Christmas celebration is a good reminder that God was really personally and physically in the form of man here on earth. Now, there are many in this world today that push against the idea of Jesus Christ as a king, of Jesus Christ as ruling, as Christianity superior to any other. They say, oh, you believe in Christian nationalism. Or they say, what you're saying is a threat to democracy. And it's true, administrations don't like the truth that Jesus is king. Dictatorships, for sure, don't like the fact that Jesus is king. And monarchies resist the presence of another king. But we believe that Christ who came and wept was in a manger is that same one who will personally come again and he will sit upon the throne of his great, great, great grandfather, David. We believe the very hand that felt the nail will someday grasp the scepter of his kingdom. The very foot that was fastened to the cross will one day tread the enemies. In fact, the Bible says this same Jesus. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, this same Jesus will come again. This same Jesus, the same Jesus that was here on earth, this same Jesus will come again. This same person who left will be the same person who will return. Have you ever considered the fact that there are no prophecies foretelling the birth, the life, and the death about any other religious leader? Think of the great religions of the world, and there are actually hundreds of smaller ones, but there are no prophecies concerning any of those. For example, there is no prophecies concerning Muhammad, the founder of Islam. There's no prophecies concerning the birth of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. There's no prophecies concerning the birth of Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses. There are no prophecies concerning the birth of Siddhartha Gautama, the beginning person of Buddhism. There is none for any of them. Yet the holy writings pinpointed numerous, in fact, hundreds of details about the birth, life, and death, and future of Jesus Christ. The two comings of Christ are alike in that, first of all, both of them are personal. Second of all, both of them are promised. When Jesus came, very few were looking for him. Now, there were a few very righteous people. There were Simeon, for example, Luke chapter 2, to whom it had been revealed, probably an older believer in the Lord, it had been revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And in fact, he was privileged to see that little baby. 
And then there was Anna. She was looking for the coming of the Lord. She had been a widow for 80-something years, and so probably she was 100 or so years old, and she had a ministry of fasting and praying. She was among the first to have the honor of seeing that kingly babe born in a stamen. And then there were those wonderful, hardworking shepherds who maybe weren't looking for it, but soon had an opportunity to see. But for the most part, the coming of Jesus, the first coming, really didn't hardly even create a ripple in the streets, the villages, and especially bustling Jerusalem. But even though that was the case, there were dozens and dozens of promises who they should have been looking for His coming. But my, oh my, how Simeon was blessed. My, oh my, how Anna was blessed. My, oh my, how the shepherds and the wise men and those that were looking were blessed. And that's why Jesus said that those now who are obedient and looking for His second coming will be so blessed. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 34. He said, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Yes, it was personal, and yes, it was promised. There's a Hallmark greeting card that reflects kind of the sentiment of our day. I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. Hallelujah. I'm glad that our Savior has a much more definite promise than that. He promises not only today, but forever. It was a promised coming. And then not only was it a personal coming and a promised coming, but both of them are pronouncements. They are personal, they are promised, but they are also a pronouncement. There's a flip side. Yes, He's coming to bless His people. The Bible is also clear He's coming to purge His people. There's a cleansing, there's a separating that's going to be taking place. The Bible talks about separating between sheep and goats, between tares and the real wheat. In that first gospel, that kingly gospel, Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus clarified the issue. He said, I've come, but my coming is not all just like you might imagine. He said, think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. Now, yes, I've come to give peace with God, of course. Yes, I've come to give you eternal peace. Yes, if you accept what I'm saying, you'll have soul peace. He's not discounting that. There's too many other verses that validate that. What he's saying is, I've not come to just merely bring peace on the earth and no more wars and things like that. He said, no, I actually have come to not send peace, but a sword. And the fact of the matter is, in this life, when Jesus came, there is a separating between those who want to live righteous and those that don't. There's a separation between the peoples of this world. You know, the truth of the matter is, there's only two types of people in this world. Now, there's only two genders. <laughs> they may doubt that, but the fact is there's only two genders. There's only two types of people, and it's not, but it's not male and female. It's not foreign and local or whatever we might think. There's not two races, no. In the world, there's only people that are born again and those that aren't, people that are believers and people that are non-believers, or as one person said, saints and ain'ts. 
You either have Jesus in your heart or you don't. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. There's a separating. And that's what Jesus' coming actually did. Now, there's many people in this world that are pleading for the world to change. They say we need to do something about the climate. Well, trust me, that day is coming. And when Jesus comes, it will be the biggest climate change there's ever been. But I, I will tell you, be careful what you're wishing for. Because that isn't the first coming. His second coming will be a day of reckoning. And if a person doesn't have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, what then? You know, I've gone to certain events before thinking my name was on the list, only to be disappointed that somehow there was some mistake and I wasn't listed and I wasn't getting in. There are two comings of Christ, the first one and the second one. There are things that are alike, but there are some things that are not alike. First of all, there are be a difference in His coming. There'll be a difference in His coming. Then He entered into this world in a manger. Now the second time He will ascend His throne. Then He sat upon a woman's lap. Now the whole world will be upon His shoulders. Then a stable received Him. Now the earth and the heavens themselves will be too little for Him. Then oxen were his companions, but now thousands of angels will be at his right hand. Then in poverty he came, his parents not even having enough to give the offering that the normal people gave, but now he's king of kings. And as David proclaims in Psalm 50 and verse 12, he is so rich he owns it all. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the world is mine and the fullness thereof. And so there will be a big difference in His coming between the first and the second. And then there is a second difference, and that is there will be a difference in His character. Oh, how changed that humble Nazarene will be. When you see Jesus the next time, it will not be with that humble carpenter's apron, those worn feet that needed to be washed often, after a long journey, won't be that same. In fact, the Bible says in Revelations 1 and verse 15 that his feet are like unto fine brass burned in a furnace. Who can recognize this Jesus, a man despised, now all glorious? I wonder about those who insult him now. I wonder about those who deny him now. I wonder about those who blaspheme Him now. The Bible says in that day, Psalm 72 and verse 9, His enemies shall lick the dust. There's a big difference in the character of His second coming. There's a big difference in the coming itself. There is also a difference in the celebration. What's going to happen the day that He comes back? In the earth on the first coming, Evil people jeered him and sneered at him. Psalm 22 and verse 8 gives us a little snippet of that. He trusted on the Lord. They sneered under their breath that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted him. The very people he came to save and to give eternal life mocked him. On earth the first time was so different than the second time. 
Isaiah 53, that great Christ chapter of the Old Testament. It's often quoted at Christmas and also at Easter. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 2. He hath no form or comeliness. There's nothing attractive about Jesus. There was nothing comely about him. Now, I don't know if that was referring to his actual look on the outside. I don't suspect it was. But there's nothing attractive about what he was teaching and saying and doing. He certainly had not, none of the trappings that normally we look at somebody. Maybe they're rich or they're a great athlete or they're popular or something like that. No form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Really, nothing more than a second thought. I wouldn't, he was just a nondescript person. That's how he came across in this earth. Verse 3, despised and rejected, but even worse, he was looked down upon and passed over. Why? Because he was so much different than any of the other religious teachers. A man of sorrows. He wasn't just a happy guy all the time. He was a person that had many troubles, acquainted with grief. We hid as our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. The fact of the matter is, in fact, one paraphrase says it rather plainly. It says, to us, he was nothing more than scum. Just the really nothing that we would desire of him. That is the world's opinion of Jesus back in the day. Sadly, not much has changed. Sadly, not much has changed. We see that so often around the world today. But my friend, it will be different when Jesus comes again. In Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says, out of his eyes are flames of fire. Out of his mouth goes a two-edged sword, and his head and his hair are white like wool, and his white as snow, and his feet as much fine gold. How then will the world's opinion of him change? In fact, the Bible says in Mark chapter 12, verse 36, and then, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in great power and glory, and then it will be a different thing. Step forward now, religious, fake religious Pharisees, and try to entangle Jesus now in your word. Step forward now, educators of the world, the omniscient one has come. Step forward now, you power brokers, the omnipotent one has come. Come now, Judas, traitor, selling your master for 30 pieces of silver. Try to do that now, Judas. Smite him on the face now, armies of the world. Weave your throne, your thorn crown and try to place it on his head now. Spit into his face now. Try to insult him now. His eyes are a flame of holy fire. He's sitting upon a white horse. When Jesus comes, how much different it will be and the celebration and the treatment will be so much different. You know, when we started this miracle project on this property over 20 years ago, I was privileged, and it really was a privilege. It was a challenge, but a privilege. I was working four days a week doing construction, and then three days a week doing kind of the normal pastoring, all the while trying to be a husband and a father. 
And so there were many times when I would talk to somebody on the phone and they would talk to the pastor. And they would stop by thinking they were going to talk to the senior pastor. And so they would come to that building and they would meet some guy who was all dressed in old clothes, covered head to foot in sheetrock mud. And they'd come in and say, may I speak with the senior pastor, pastor please? And I'd say, well, that's me. <laughs> that's me. They'd say, you're the senior pastor? Yep, that's me. How different I must have looked than what they were thinking about. The fact of the matter is, people are going to be so different when they see Jesus the second time. There's a big difference in His coming. There's a great difference in His character. There's a big difference in the celebration He receives. And then finally, there's a difference in His campaign. He is coming again, but with a very different purpose. He came the first time to endure our retribution. He comes the second time to procure our reward. He came to serve, and now He comes to rule. He comes to not redeem this next time, but to reign. Oh, how different the first and the second coming is. When He came the first time, He came to a tree. And when He comes again, He's coming to a throne. And when He came the first time, He came as a Savior. When He comes the second time, He is coming as sovereign. I once heard about an individual who was arrested for a crime. He was indeed guilty, but he thought he might be able to find some mercy with the court because the judge sitting on the bench had one time been a defense lawyer and in fact his lawyer. He reached out to the judge and the judge said to him, I'm sorry to inform you of this, but I can show you absolutely no partiality. At that time, I was your lawyer to represent you. Now I am your judge to prosecute you. And you know, there are many places and this things in this world that we would love to see. There are many amazing events <clears throat> that would be wonderful but we could only dream of. There'd be wonderful people if we could just somehow see them and meet them. It'd be wonderful. But the fact of the matter is we will all see Jesus someday. We may love to see somebody or that person or go to that place or this place, but we will all see Jesus. As the beloved apostle said in Revelation chapter 1, every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see this Jesus, and the best is yet to come. You'd say, well, will I be happy or sad? That's the question. I hope you'll be happy. And if you've been born again, you will be happy that you see Jesus. And I can tell you, if I've had a thousand lives to live, I would live every one of them for Jesus. I've lived all these years serving Him, and I can tell you, there is absolutely nothing better than serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you never, yes, and may you never again look at Christmas the same way. Every time we come to Christmas from now on, let us not only look at the first peak, but let's look at a higher peak down the line, something that's so much bigger. The first coming of Jesus is just a prelude for the second coming. How will Jesus come? He went up. The next time, He'll come down. The first time he left earth to go to heaven. 
the next time he will leave heaven to come to earth. He left from the earth. He will come down to the earth. I'd like you to bow your heads with me. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.